You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 177. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum, episode 177 today. Middle of June, really hot outside. Um, I hope that uh, you enjoyed last week's interview with Gene uh, Epstein. And I'll tell you about next week's ep- uh, in- interview at the end of the show. It's kind of a switching gears a lot, but but still very interesting. But uh, today I wanted to follow up on our predictions panel that we had a couple weeks ago, uh, which was great. Uh, but as you know, you know sometimes the prediction panel we're kind of jumping from topic to topic very quickly, so I don't get to. Uh, and and that was episode one seventy five. And sometimes I don't get to. Um, go into detail enough into in on on some of the topics. So that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, for for those of you who um, you know weren't uh, weren't listening, it's you don't have to listen to that one. But uh, just to just to bring you up to speed, the predictions panel is something that I do every year slash every five quarters, and basically we make predictions on mostly future technology, but uh, other other areas as well. And um, we try to uh, check what happened with our past predictions. Was it correct? Was it not correct? Where were we on the right track? Where were we on the wrong track? And that's sort of a check of how well our understanding of these technologies are. Because many of them, well, you know, if you talk about something like, okay, what's going on at, at, at Foursquare, maybe some of the machine learning stuff, I have a very uh, good idea of where we're at. On the other hand, I probably would be very bad at predicting at where we're going to be in five years from now, although I, I do know that people who are predicting that, that uh, AI is going to you know, become sentient in five years, I know that's not going to happen. Uh, but I, uh, you know, some, I, I actually do try to research this stuff and I try to, uh, you know, use my knowledge to figure out, you know, where you could think the markets can go, where, w- 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 you know, w- how are, how are we going to be living in five years? How are we going to be living in 10 years? What are the trends? And you want to check yourself. You want to see, you know, how well did you do? And you want to learn from, from stuff that you said, you know, five, 10 years ago. I, there, there were no predictions 10 years ago, but there were predictions five years ago, uh, not on the podcast, but, but we still did, did them. So today I want to dive a little bit deeper into several topics. One is, you know, the types of predictions we were making last year during the lockdowns. Uh, the second is the behavior of big tech. Uh, the third is the, the state of the cryptoverse, blockchain, and Bitcoin. And fourth is driverless cars, just because, you know, the, everything in the news is like big tech and blockchain. And, you know, it's like, hey, are we going to get any real products that we're going to we're going to use in the future? You know, is any company going to come out with something that's uh, yes, I know, like Bitcoin is huge. But, you know, come on, people want to know about the physical products, too. So, all right, let me just uh, start with them. So, first of all, um, let's start with the lockdowns, because our previous prediction panel previous to this year was the one in. March 2020, and that was a very interesting time to do it. That was kind of at very beginning of COVID, and it was sort of in the in the period where uh, we were all being kind of extra careful. Uh, because I mean, some people were extra careful even till today, but uh, that was sort of the overly cautious one uh, uh, point for me when. You know, the, the way I did things was I was overly cautious when I didn't have enough information. This was information gathering. So uh, March 2020, there was a lot 
unknown. Uh, there was a lot that we didn't know about how this pandemic would play out uh, in the world or here in the United States. And so that sort of snapshot in time, I was interested to go uh, see what we said. Um, I said that we'd hopefully not be locked down by the spring of 2021. Uh, fortunately, I was right about that. But there is a caveat there. You know, it, it, I, I would have been hoping by spring of 2021, we'd be on to talking about something else and it wouldn't be a factor. But it still is. And so much has changed that... Um, even though we're not really locked down, we were uh, in New York. The the quote unquote lockdown was really about ten weeks. Uh, I have an episode episode one twenty. I talked about the reopening and what that meant for New York City and New York, but it wasn't really a reopening. It was more of a partial reopening where hey, you know, we kind of encourage you to go out and walk around and stuff, but everything, all the places that are open are going to be highly restricted in capacity. There's going to be mask mandates everywhere. So it really wasn't, you know, back to real life. And I feel like the real reopening for me was when I moved to New Hampshire here uh, and, and really more recently where now here in New Hampshire, everything is completely back to normal. Like I can see almost no, uh, except for like some, some signs that are left over, I, I see, and like, you know, hey, places to get vaccinated and stuff, but I see no uh, evidence that there's there's a pandemic going on. So things are back to normal here in New Hampshire. But last week, I was down in New York City, where I visited recently. I visited in May, and then I visited again in June for work. And it's like, well, sure, it's open, but look at all the mandates and restrictions. I was required to wear a mask, you know, just to get ice cream. And plus, you know, you could say that the businesses have reopened, but many Actual small businesses never will reopen, and there are a lot of storefronts there that are just simply, you know, for rent. So I, um, I, I guess my, uh, you know, my my prediction there was was true, uh, but uh, unfortunately, we had a quote unquote re reopening in like two or three months, but it wasn't a real reopening, and um, the whole entire, uh, the, uh, the the consequences of <laughs> what we've done here are, are things we're going to uh, feel and be talking about long into the future. Um, last year, one participant uh, suggested in the in the um, uh, in the predictions that uh, coronavirus. And remember, this is uh, this is March 2020. Coronavirus vaccine is released and the stock market recovers. That actually might have seen uh, been seen as overly optimistic at the time, but. Fortunately, that totally did happen. So again, sometimes the positive thinking does uh, does come true. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the pessimists. Uh, well, let me put it this way: the pessimists don't always win. You know, there are a lot of people who want to be overly pessimistic, and I understand. You know, the stock market recovers, but it might be a, you know there, there's a lot of problems with the economy, and I've talked about it. But um, hey, look, no, we didn't think there'd be a vaccine. There's a vaccine, so. So that's good, too. All right. So that's kind of all I wanted to say about that. Um, I just think that, um, you know, if I wanted some, some input from you guys, it was like, what were you thinking in March of 2020? And how has that changed with, um, how, how has your expectations at the time when we didn't have a lot of information, how has that lined up with where we are today? Okay. So now I want to get into... Big tech, fake news. Yes, everyone's talking about it. So, and I've been talking about it on the show for, for a long time. But um, one participant, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the, uh, on the predictions panel, but one participant said, 
Facebook slash Twitter slash etc. will stop trying to eliminate fake news and instead they embrace fake news and use it to sell more ads and they become more popular than ever. And then he also said AI will become widely used for censorship of unpopular beliefs and views. And this is something that he said, I think, two and a half years ago, maybe five years ago. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's two and a half. Uh, So this stuff is already starting to happen. But uh, yes, this is the case where the pessimists kind of win here. Um, But I want you to remember the fourth turning episode in uh, a few few episodes ago in in episode 173. I'm not saying that uh, the fourth turning theory is correct, but one of the... um, one of the steps in that when you have a fourth turning or you have any type of creative destruction, like as the previous order dies, and you know we do have a previous order in terms of information, which is, which is big tech, which is not that old. It's not, you know, as the fourth turning suggests, 80 years old. It's more of a, uh, a 10-year phenomenon, not even. Um, but as the previous order dies, it gets increasingly worse um, and you could think of this as kind of media, too. It gets increasingly bad uh, before giving way to a new order. And so what is that new order? Well, we've been talking about it all throughout the show. Episode 174, recently we talked about uh, library being a decentralized YouTube and how it's actually something that's been doing very well. It's gotten traction. Obviously, Bitcoin's gotten traction in episode six. Way back in episode six in 2018, I talked about crypto networks uh, coming to the rescue of um, of uh, of uh, tech centralization and bad policy on the part of big tech, um, and the fact that uh, these centralized services honestly don't have a very good like they could do better than they're doing, but uh, they 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 don't have um, they 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 sort of have a problem where they can't please any everyone. So these decentralized social networks will will rise in their place. And I talked about that in episode six. And then in episode 153, which was, I believe, kind of last year, maybe like six months ago, uh, actually, I think that was the beginning of this year, uh, I just talked about how everything is becoming uh, decentralized before our eyes. And you're actually seeing services that are gaining some traction. Maybe it's not enough traction. Like I talked about Mastodon in episode 153 as an as a alternative to Twitter. Maybe not so much traction that you, you often see people using it that much, even though it does have a lot of real users. I just don't see a lot of people using it. But the stats speak for themselves. And it just shows that people are hungry for this stuff. And when the right entrepreneur with the right product, with the right design comes along, um, as they did in library, I think, or in Odyssey slash library, um, you'll, you'll see uh, consumers hunger for this new interface. Um, so that said, so that's great, but that said, it may take a while, and obviously keep in mind there's no, uh, you know, there's no utopia. Human nature and organizational nature does not go away, um, and so uh, all of these new systems will then eventually... Uh, generate new problems down the road, but hopefully we'll have solved old problems. And so the you know new problems are kind of a, a step ahead. They're 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 a higher level. We've graduated a a, a grade in terms of how to organize uh, the information of billions of people. Which you know, when you think about it that way, um, you can't. It's hard to uh, it's hard to fault people for not being able to get that right because that is a very very hard problem. All right. Furthermore, there, was, there were a lot of predictions in the past about uh, Bitcoin 
and specifically the block size debate and how many people would be using it and would Bitcoin still be dominant. I remember this from way back in 2014 um, when I, I heard a talk by Chris Dixon. Actually, Chris Dixon is the, I really want this guy on my show. Hopefully I'll get in touch with him soon. But uh, he's the guy's articles. I I article I referenced in episode six when we talked about crypto networks, and I heard him speak uh, at, at Foursquare once. And, you know, somebody asked about, he talked, he was talking about Bitcoin way back in 2014. And somebody asked him, well, sure, there's Bitcoin, but there's all these alternative coins as well. So how do I know that, that they won't win? Um, so that was even a problem back then, even before Ethereum, uh, Existed, and I think that was even before the Ethereum blocks uh, sale. So Ethereum was still just kind of a, uh, a a a a project in the mind of a few people, Vitalik and a few people, just sort of um, just sort of uh, uh, searching for kind of building out what they're what they're trying to build and searching for uh, searching for funding. So. Uh, this has always been an issue, and people are really interested in how the space is going to play out. Like a lot, I remember at the beginning, people were like, "Well, Bitcoin is like MySpace, and ba- and Facebook is going to come along." But you have to remember, this is a very different uh, type of space. And um, you know, some people say, "Well, Bitcoin is more like a uh, more like a protocol." So it's like you're not going to build, uh, you know, you're not going to build uh, the internet off of TCP/IP or, or or the World Wide Web off of a, a series of HTML documents, and then all of a sudden have some other protocol come along and beat that once everyone has agreed on that protocol, you're just going to build on top of it. And so uh, it could go that way where people just continue to improve it and build on top of it. We, we don't know. It's, it's one of the, I'm not saying it's definitely one or the other. It's every, uh, every space, every idea that comes along is going to develop very differently. If they all develop the same way, well, then... You know, predicting and investing would be uh, really easy. So, uh, so that's just the way it is. So, I predicted several years ago. I think it was four or five years ago that I think it was four years ago that uh, Bitcoin will have moved beyond the block size debate and wins the crypto wars. And then, in parentheses, I, I, I wrote, "It doesn't mean that it's the only currency, but it's the main one." So, let me give the some of the background on the fork. Um, so what happened was at the time, there were fights in terms of how Bitcoin is going to work. How is this currency going to work? And the fight was um, big, blo- big blocks versus small blocks. Uh, right now, uh, Bitcoin has small blocks. They're, I think they're one megabyte in size, which means it can only contain every, every 10 minutes, there's a new block of transactions. That means very few transactions uh, one megabyte's worth, I'm not sure how much that is, can make it into each block every 10 minutes. So that means that if you're going to build a global payment system off of Bitcoin, then most of those payments are not going to be on the main chain of transactions. They're going to have to be taken, you know, quote unquote, offline elsewhere. And the, the idea there is, well, if you have kind of the most decentralized currency and you know you want everyone to keep track of the ledger, then you don't want the ledger to be too big. So uh, so that's kind of the best way to go. And then the big blockers kind of you know want more and more in the ledger, and they say, well, if if, if fewer people are, uh, are are running nodes and keeping track of that, that's fine. But then everyone can make payments and and go on the ledger and 
and uh, and and they could just make payments on the on the on the first layer. Um, I mentioned this in a few episodes. Again, I'll combine episodes from 2018 to today. One of the interesting ones where I talked about this a little bit, touched on it, was uh, Christian Lundqvist in episode five. He is one of the engineers who works on Ethereum, and he does really cool stuff, and he knows so much. And uh, so even in 2018, we were mentioning this because that was just when the fork occurred. Uh, and, and the fork occurred when the big blockers and the small blockers could not agree on how to run Bitcoin moving forward. And so the, they decided to change the software and essentially have some, some people chose small blocks, some people chose big blocks. To be more specific, the big blockers you know, changed, the, uh, changed the limit. So they were the ones who changed. So they forked off of Bitcoin and created Bitcoin Cash. Right now, uh, Bitcoin Cash is much smaller than Bitcoin, and some of the big blockers are people who are, uh, who are critical of Bitcoin. Um, not all of them say Bitcoin Cash is the way to go. They've also created their own cryptocurrencies to kind of compete there. So Bitcoin is still very dominant in that way. Um, you know, in, in fact, Bitcoin Cash itself forked. I also talked in episode 165 to Peter McCormick about this, and he started his podcast around the same time. He is more of what they call like a Bitcoin maximalist. He's Bitcoin only. Um, and so uh, you get his point of view in episode 165. So today, you know, you could say, you could point to Bitcoin Cash and say, hey, look, Bitcoin Cash is faster and cheaper because they allow more, uh, you know, more transactions per block. But that's for transactions, but that's but first of all, <laughs> you haven't been doing as well hanging on to it, so it's not as good. It hasn't been as good as uh, as an investment as Bitcoin, um, and so if you want to buy and hold as an investor, uh, you don't you don't want to be uh, too ideological in terms of how you're going to spend the thing. So um, that's something to consider. But um, also, you could say, well, Bitcoin Cash is faster and cheaper because so few people use it. I mean, like, yeah, if I build a road that nobody uses, then I maybe could drive through it very fast. Um, but it doesn't mean that it, it's, you know, it, 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 it means it's going to be more profitable for me to run the road that everyone is trying to use. I guess I don't know if that's a great analogy. Um, and well, okay, I'll, I'll actually get into why it's, it's not a good analogy um, in, in a little bit. I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, and well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's because it's digital. So the fact is that when you build a road and the road has limited capacity, then um, you know. Then there's only a certain number of cars that could go through it, and you'll end up with a traffic jam if it's too crowded, and that'll be that. It'll just be a jammed road forever. We all know uh, areas that we've driven through that uh, that have roads like that. But when you're talking about a digital good, and you're talking about the idea that someone can figure out a way to take these transactions, you know, quote unquote, off the blockchain and uh, kind of have sort of a side deals going on without, you know, your, your small transaction going on everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's computer who's, who's running everyone's device who's, or, or minor or whatever, who's, who's, who, who's keeping track of these transactions throughout the world, and you kind of do that on the side. Well, if people figure out how, how to do that, then, um, then you can, you can, increase the throughput without increasing the the size of the road. So, uh, and, and that's sort of where the debate is. Some people say, yes, we could do this. Other people say, no, that's not a, that's not a good way to go about it. Um, so right now, uh, so um, 
yes, and, and other coins can be used to transact other than Bitcoin, but it's the same deal. They have a smaller market cap. Very fewer people are using them. So um, there's definitely a trade-off between decentralization and throughput on the base layer, or layer one, uh, as I'll talk about, because if you have a huge blockchain, and an example like Ethereum is getting pretty big. I don't know if it's like terabytes now, but um, right, and and uh, you know, Bitcoin, the entire transaction le ledger is just megabytes, so it's not, and it's still only five dollars to transact. So you want to take that offline if you want to um, make uh, smaller transactions, but it's not prohibitive. Uh, so okay. Um, what does layer two look like if people are going to build a layer two on top of Bitcoin? I think the main contender right now is something called the Lightning Network. For those of you who've been following this space, very exciting news. El Salvador in the last couple of weeks announced that they were going to make Bitcoin legal tender. That means that it's one of two major currencies in the, in the country, the US dollar and Bitcoin. Now, maybe it's easier for a country to do that if they don't have their own native currency. And apparently they're using an app called Strike that uses this Lightning Network. I could do a whole show on the Lightning Network. I don't want to get into all the details of how it works. But uh, basically, you take all your transactions off-chain, and you only transact with the people you need to. And then if there's a dispute, that's when you go onto the blockchain and uh, keep everyone honest. So there's kind of a, uh, you know, there's kind of a, a fail-safe there. Um, and you know the mechanics of how it all works is quite complicated, so I don't want to get into that today. I'm probably not equipped to uh, to discuss it. I have kind of in my head how it works, but um, anyway. Uh, uh, so uh, Salvadorians have been using this, particularly uh, from what I hear in this town called Bitcoin Beach, where Strike has been set up. This app using I you get it Lightning Network Strike, but I have a different Lightning. Uh, network app. And so you can transact with Bitcoin. You don't have to wait the 10 minutes. You could just transact with someone else with a, with a, a Lightning Network wallet um, almost instantaneously, like swiping a credit card or something like that. So that's pretty good. Um, there are some people who say, uh, and, and, and it is a concern, well, you know, this network is a little bit more, you kind of have to connect to a Lightning node to do it. And to create your own, you have to create a transaction on the blockchain. Uh, or several, which at $5 now is not that big of a deal, but it might be a big deal for people in Central America. And what happens if, you know, Bitcoin scales up and then all of a sudden it costs like, you know, uh, hundreds of dollars to make a transaction on the blockchain? You know, how are you going to get uh, access to Lightning Network? Uh, and the answer is it'll probably have to be custodial. It'll have to be uh, a value that's already locked up somewhere. So you don't have to make too many of, of these $100 transactions to start trading because nobody wants to spend that kind of money to, like, open a bank account. Um, now, well, you might spend $100 once to open a bank account, um, particularly if you're in, like, a, a developed country. But still, you, you know, maybe you don't have to. Um, so... That's, uh, that's one way it could play out, but then, of course, you have to kind of ask uh, permission from like a bigger organization that's, that's, that's running this kind of node to, to do it. Um, so there might be some, you could, that could lead to some censorship is, is, the way that, um, is the way that I think about it. But then again, it might not be that expensive to fire up a lightning node and therefore... Uh, the censorship might not be that big of a problem. So I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out. But um, my prediction about 
Bitcoin moving beyond the blockchain block size debate and winning the crypto wars. I'll give that a partial because it's still ahead in the crypto wars and Bitcoin itself no longer has a block size debate because they've kind of, they forked and they've offloaded that to another coin. And it's like, all right, who's going to win the marketplace five years later? Bitcoin is still winning, um, but it that's not necessarily true in the future. Um, however, I would be very, and I don't know if that's going to be true in the future, but I would be very scared betting against Bitcoin uh, being the one. And I'll tell you why. It's because it has such a high market cap, you know, over a trillion dollars. And you could say, well, it's slow, there are fees, but there are so many people working on the problem of getting around that. And it's not just one organization, it's permissionless innovation, and it's worldwide. People around the world are working on this problem. There's an economic incentive to do it. You want me to bet against the, um, the, the, the event that's, that a bunch of people figure this out? I'm like, that is a scary bet, that no one in the world figures this out. I just, I, that, that is not a bet that I'm willing to make. So um, I, I, I just, I, <laughs> I will see how this plays out. Um, I'm not all in on, on Bitcoin. I have some other coins, but I, I think that um, I think it's very likely they'll 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 pull it out and become the main coin. It really looks like it's happening with you know um, uh, uh, organizations buying it, like uh, Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy, and Elon Musk to some extent. Although he's kind of uh, <laughs> he's he's playing uh, cat and mouse with the market, which maybe is a little annoying. But you know that won't be a big factor in the long run. And then now. El Salvador, and I believe countries will keep Bitcoin on their ledger before any other coin, uh, keep, keep Bitcoin as part of their reserve before other cryptocurrencies. So that, um, that looks like a pretty big indicator to me. Um, I predicted in 2015 that Bitcoin would become the most popular currency in a country uh, by the year, not by the year, or around the year 2035. I have since revised my tipping point for global currencies, I, I think that Bitcoin is going to be a big global currency in 10 years, more or less, by the year 2030. And what, I, it's 2035 for Bitcoin to become the most popular currency. We were so quickly after 2015, I realized that this space is moving much faster than that. And you know, now it looks like for El Salvador and perhaps others, many may beat this. I mean, okay, the app the uh, Lightning Network is growing fast around the world, including in El Salvador. Maybe it gets to the point where it doesn't scale, and maybe at some point it's like, okay, yeah, 20% of the people use that, and then 80% use some other currency, and that's it. It kind of stops there. So uh, Bitcoin never becomes the most popular currency in a country. But I, I again, I wouldn't bet... I wouldn't bet against Bitcoin in this. And if it happens, I think it will happen long before 2035. And now with the news from El Salvador, probably before 2030, because El Salvador is not going to be the last country to do this. Um, okay, I have, uh, if you want to hear no more about the idea that there could be censorship on lightning super nodes, a lot of this is very technical in nature. I know I should do maybe a, an episode on it to break it down. That's not today, but uh, I'll post an article in Bitcoin Magazine at, on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com slash 177. Uh, so, all right. I also predicted that Ethereum gets a second wind. Not all coins did. Um, you know, Bitcoin Cash, for example, uh, did, it got a second wind when everything went up, but 
compared to Bitcoin, it didn't do well, versus Ethereum, which is compared to the market cap of Bitcoin, it went down and then it went back up. And that's just because I think that Ethereum, with its focus on smart contracts and decentralized finance, actually does give use cases that Bitcoin's not focused on right now. And uh, it, it, they are use cases that will that that the market is interested in. People are interested in it, and um, so it's just just the idea that you have a world computer that uh, can't be stopped, and that's again permissionless innovation that anyone in the world can use. The idea that nobody's going to figure out a good use for it, uh, I wouldn't bet against that either. So. Again, uh, if Bitcoin continues to win, I think, uh, quote unquote, win, which is like be the dominant coin, we'll kind of see things go as, as they go. Uh, what is it? What does the world start to look like if, if Bitcoin starts to lose? What takes its place? I'm not I'm not so sure about that. What do you think? Uh, if you have an opinion, email me at localmaxradio uh, at gmail.com or just go on locals, uh, local, uh, maximum.locals.com uh, uh, because... You know, would it just be that that some currency flips Bitcoin in market cap, and then everyone starts, then countries start adopting that, and and um, uh, companies start adopting that, or or do you think that it's going to be the small transactions uh, that that these alternatives win over? Uh, you know, Bitcoin is is going in the other direction. They're saying, hey, we want to be the world reserve. We want to deal with the large transactions, the big stuff, uh, but. That sounds like that's going to be the dominant one, whereas the the small transactions are just going to be kind of tiny coins. So, I, uh, again, uh, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it now. But uh, but we will see. I can be uh, I can be disproved. Um, okay. Finally, we'll talk about self driving cars because we talked about the other stuff too much. And a reminder that there's more technology coming out than blockchains and big tech run amok. And you know. You might. This is more of a, a real, like, sci-fi type thing that you think of. Um, that might actually happen. So my original prediction in 2015, when I knew a little less, was around 2025 for the first commercial driverless car, which is level four or above. So level four is kind of true autonomy. You can't get rid of the driver's seat. You still have to take over from time to time. But the car li- largely drives itself. Uh, and this is the type of thing that Waymo has been experimenting in now in Arizona and a few other cities. Um, I also kind of, after 2015, revised that for a little for to like 2030, just because the 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 last mile of the the so-called like uh, taking this project over the finish line, like Waymo and, and some other organizations have great products, but it's so tough to finally get this into you know what we call a shippable product because there are so many edge cases, so many things that can go wrong, and you really don't want things to go wrong uh, that uh, it, it's going to take years to get it out. So may the first commercialization actually come uh, by 2025? It, it might, um, but um, I still think like the 2025 to 2030 range uh, looks pretty good. Uh, so I kind of have in mind late in the decade, but uh, still, it'd probably only be off a few years from 2025. And then I thought they'd be more common. Maybe you'd need like 10 years. So this is this is these are slow moving technologies. Um, I was kind of uh, indoctrin- indoctrinated is not the right word, but uh, you, you often see these charts on how technology is adopted faster than it was in the past. Like, hey, something came, I don't know, the electric light bulb came out and then it took like 40 years, 
for it to be adopted. And then, you know, in the 19, uh, and then in the 1950s, like something came out and the, the TV came out and it took 10 years for it to be adopted and so on and so forth. So the adoption cycle is getting less and less. But um, I still think that there are long-term projects that take 20, 30 years. And those are the interesting ones. Um, and it could just be they have kind of order magnitude more impact than the one, well, I, I wouldn't even argue that. It's just we're, we're on the next level. We're leveling up in terms of our, uh, in terms of our, eco, uh, in terms of our economy and our use of technology in the world, which is inevitable. It's a good thing, um, but technology is always a double-edged sword. So we'll see what happens with this. I'll continue to follow uh, driverless cars on the program. I just wanted to, I, I didn't want to get too deep into the actual tech and how everything worked today. I just wanted to give you my, uh, my roadmap for how the world is going to go in these particular, on, on these particular topics uh, over the next few years and how predictions from the past kind of played out and then in some ways didn't and uh, you know, what we can learn from it and what we can look for in the next few years. So I hope that was helpful. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, join me next week because I, I did this interview with Scott Birkin, who wrote a book called How Design Makes the World. And I'm finally getting getting into design, which is closely linked with engineering. Uh, everyone is a designer. You know, you design, you might do interior design, you design your house, you design your desk. Um, everything is designed. You might use products and you might think, well, why is this designed badly? And oftentimes there's a good reason for it, you know, and sometimes we armchair design things. Well, this should be this way, this should be that way. And sometimes um, sometimes there, there are good reasons for it. So it really helps to understand the world, uh, to understand design, not to mention um, this uh, understanding design, in particular this discussion that I had is really helpful for anyone in the workplace and anyone just trying to get things done. Uh, so, cause we talk about organizational dynamics too. So definitely join me next week for that one. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show to support the local maximum sign up for exclusive content and their online community at maximum.locals.com. The local maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. It'll feel the power.